tonight we, as a congregation, will express our consent and our agreement to the sense of calling that Steve Roy has from the Lord. We will approve that in a solemn act of dedication. And we will set him apart for the ministry of the Word. And I want us to ponder for a few minutes the meaning of the ministry of the Word. In Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6, the Greek-speaking Jewish widows are not being fed like the others. They are being overlooked in the distribution of the food. And they come to the apostles with this problem, and that problem clamors for the apostles' attention, for time, for energy. And the apostles say, it is not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. And so they appoint others to do that. And then they say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And I infer from that event that from the earliest times in the life of the church, there was a sense that the ministry of the Word required so much effort, so much attention, so much time that other people should be brought in to do other things to free up some people in the church to do the ministry of the Word. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 17 to 18, Paul writes to this a young man who is dealing with elders or pastors in a church, and he says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it is treading out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. In other words, the church should should put such a value, such a priority on the ministry of the Word that they are willing to financially support some people to devote themselves entirely to that ministry. Evidently, this is an ongoing office in the life of the church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 the ascended Christ is said to give gifts to the church, and his gifts were that some should be pastor-teachers. In other words, there is an office distinct from the laity because it says the job of this pastor-teacher is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Somebody is to be set apart for the ministry of the Word to equip the saints to do the ministry. Steve Roy has been called to that ministry and we are now setting him apart to do it. And I want us to focus on the meaning of that ministry. We could talk for hours. My prayer is that perhaps in doing this, we will come to put a greater value upon it or perhaps come to know how to pray for the ministry of the Word in a more intense and understanding way 
Or third, that perhaps some of you might feel tonight that decisive call into the ministry of the Word. Well, I, I only have time to mention four brief things. Number one, the ministry of the Word is a ministry of study. Number two, it is a ministry of prayer. Number three, it is a ministry of suffering. And number four, it is a ministry of joy. Let's just look at those briefly. The ministry of the Word is a ministry of study. The life of the church hangs on the Word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, Jesus said, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. We live by the Word of God. And the Word of God has come to us in a book inspired originally in Hebrew and Greek. None of us comes into the world with the ability to read, let alone the ability to read Hebrew and Greek. That only comes from study. And even when you have labored to learn how to read English well, or as a minister of the Word, how to read Greek and Hebrew, still, the only way those tools can begin to mine out the ore of gold and silver in the mine of Scripture is through study. Ezra, it says, had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach God's statutes. And therefore, the good hand of the Lord was upon him. Ezra 7, verse 9 and 10. And then Paul tells Timothy to be zealous, or some of the old translations say, study to show yourself approved, a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed because you rightly handle the Word of the living God. Let me emphasize that with all the good and bad books on theology that there are, the study of the minister of the Word must be primarily a study of the Bible. Scripture. Philip Lindsay, a professor at Princeton back in the last century, used to say, one of the best preparations for death is a thorough knowledge of Greek grammar. Which was a very pointed way of saying, pastors, do your duty. And when you do it, be assured there are riches that are life and death riches. Richard Baxter wrote something that could spare many a young pastor years of wasted labor. One time he fell ill long into the ministry and he wrote in his diary, Till at last, being by my sickness cast far from home where I had no book but the Bible, I set to study the truth from thence and so by the blessing of God discovered more in one week than I had done before in 17 years of reading, hearing, and wrangling. Now, if you know Richard Baxter, you won't flinch at that. That is an amazing testimony. 
we must beware, all of us, of the temptation to replace the study of Scripture with the study of books about Scripture. It is a danger that comes and plagues every young student because we sort of train them this way in seminary, I think. If you want to know if a man has studied well, don't ask him what books he has in his study. Ask him to show you his notebooks where he has written down his insights that he has gotten from the Word of God. Authenticity is of the essence. We make a great mistake when we think that study consists mainly in reading, at least the way reading is usually conceived of. Even reading the Bible. Many think they have studied well when they have spent a morning reading a book about divinity. Thus, the measure of our study becomes the number of books we've read. But my conviction is, and I simply offer it to you to test, is that fruitful study is not primarily reading. It is primarily thinking. My guess is that reading, which was meant to be a stimulus and a guide to thinking, has replaced thinking for most pastors. It has become a substitute. And the evidence for this is how many books they read and how little they write. Because you must write down your thoughts in order to make them clear and preserve them for use in your ministry. Much reading and little thinking makes for a second-hander. And we know that people whose minds are filled only with second-hand truths do not preach with power. The ministry of the Word is a ministry of study, and the ministry of study is to be devoted primarily to the Bible, and the effort to study the Bible is primarily an effort to think about its meaning. Let me throw in here a caution that we ought not to worry here about the demand for relevance. J.C. Ryle wrote something that I think is very true and very needful for us to think about. He said, To the influence of the Bible, we owe nearly every humane and charitable institution in existence. The sick, the poor, the aged, the orphan, the lunatic, the idiot, the blind, were seldom or never thought of before the Bible leavened the world. You may search in vain for any record of institutions for their aid in the histories of Athens or Rome. Alas, many sneer at the Bible and say the world would get along well without it, but little think how great is their own debt to the Bible. The ministry of the Word is a ministry of study. Second, the ministry of the Word is a ministry of prayer. Prayer. Benjamin Warfield, the great evangelical theologian uh, who died in 1921, wrote in 1911 when he received criticism as a seminary professor about 
students and himself and preachers who are given to much study. Someone said to Warfield, ten minutes on your knees will give you a truer, deeper, more operative knowledge of God than ten hours over your books. He replied, what? More than ten hours over your books on your knees? Oh, that's great. That's great. Recruiting officers don't dispute whether it's better for their soldiers to have right legs or left legs. You've got to have both legs. Ministers of the Word have no option. They must be students and mighty in prayer. Study without prayer is the work of pride. Prayer without study is presumption. Isn't that what Proverbs says? Listen. If you cry out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, that's prayer. And if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, that's study. What will the result be? Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Prayer humbles the heart. It gives the tone of Christ to a life it readies and opens and makes sensitive the heart to the truth of Scripture. But it is study that brings in the truth and fills with joy and power. The ministry of the Word is a ministry of prayer because the minister meets God as a living person in the moment of his private prayers. And his preaching and his teaching gets the aroma of Christ about it through these hours of prayer. The ministry of the Word must be a ministry of earnestness and intensity. And where else will a man get this? If not in living, personal, authentic encounters with God Almighty in his closet. There's where a man finds out whether he's playing games or not. A man knows when he's alone with nobody watching, but God alone whether he's real. And if he knows he's real with God there and God is real with him, he can come out of there aflame with righteousness. One great Baptist pastor named Hezekiah Harvey said in 1879, moral earnestness can never be assumed. It is the attribute only of a soul profoundly feeling the power and reality of divine truth. The man, therefore, who would speak God's Word with pungency and fervor of a Bunyan or a Baxter or a Flavel or a Payson must, like them, be constant and fervent in prayer. The springs of spiritual life opened in the closet will pour forth never-failing streams of life in the pulpit. Without much prayer, all study in the world will leave us shallow and lean. Without prayer, there creeps in what Richard Cecil called that low, managing, contriving, maneuvering temper of mind among us. The mindset that views the pastorate as a sort of professional manager instead of a prophet. E.M. Bounds is right, surely, when he says, what the church needs today is not more machinery or more novel methods, but more men of the Holy Ghost. 
Men of prayer, mighty in prayer. The Holy Ghost does not flow through methods, but through men. It does not come on machinery, but on men. He does not anoint plans, but men. Men of prayer. Third, the ministry of the Word is a ministry of suffering. The Bible is God's artillery in the battle against sin and Satan. When you are recruited for the artillery, you count on being wounded. Listen to Paul's letter to this young artilleryman, Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 8 of the second letter. Do not be ashamed then of testifying to our Lord, nor of me, his minister, but take your share of suffering for the gospel of the power of God. Verse 11. For this gospel I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, and therefore I suffer as I do. Chapter 2, verse 3. Take your share of suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. It belongs to soldiers to suffer. When you're in the front lines, you do not expect ease, you do not expect comfort, you expect shells to go off. But strangely enough, it's where Paul wanted to be. He is amazing. He prayed. He said in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss, that I may know Christ, the power of His resurrection, and share His sufferings. It was His goal to share His sufferings. And I think one of the reasons is because Paul found flowing into his life an immense authenticity when he identified with Jesus Christ to the point of suffering. So that he said at the end of the book of Galatians, this amazing word, he said, Henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. Isn't that a strange way of talking? When you have been wounded in the service of Jesus and have not gone AWOL and have not hated your enemy, there comes upon you a new certainty, a new power, a new authenticity that makes you know the reality of Christ and the value of this war. Therefore, every minister of the Word should say with the Apostle, I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may accomplish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord. Finally, fourth, the ministry of the Word is a ministry of joy. I sometimes think about the dozens of vocational options that lie before me. I could uh, go on some Thursday afternoon to some professional referral service and take a battery of tests and then perhaps uh, offer myself to some managerial training program to go into business or maybe do like Albert Schweitzer when he was 40 and go back to medical school where my first dream was or, or maybe go to law school and go into law and by the time I'm 45 have 20, 30 years left to practice law or could I? I could no more do that than I could dislike Pamela Rose Mississippi mud cake. Because I'm a Christian hedonist. 
I am enslaved to the joy of the ministry. 